Hello and welcome to episode number 58 of the Agro Innovations Podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This episode of the podcast has been released onto our website on July 21st, 2009. You can find that at agroinnovations.com slash podcast. Today is part two of our interview about Gandhian economics with George Mokray. The conversation continues where we left off as I asked George about Gandhi's view of the role that public policy plays in fighting poverty. For me, uh, what I've read and, and the way that I read it, uh, it comes from the grassroots on up. Uh, and as I say, his his main point was to fight against centralization and to build decentralized and probably uh, within our present-day context, we might call it resilient uh, communities. Um, a public policy for him at, and in his context was to support villages in their local production and then build up from there into regional and national production and then into international relationships. And public policy would, again, be on the basis of Sarvadaya, uh, which is how do, you, how do you make it work for everyone? Everyone. And this is, this is something that, at least in the United States, does not, does not really exist anymore, from what I understand. I, I mean, um, I've been involved in, 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 in food policy, agricultural policy, as an urban person and as a gardener and somebody who frequents farmers' markets and things like that for many years. And so, for instance, um, when the women, women, infants, children feeding program, right, the WIC program started under Nixon, you know, which is surprising, but uh, that there were there were no there were no limits on that. It was for every lactating mother and child under five years of age, and as time has gone on. Uh, there are means tests put on that, and, and so they've limited the people who have access to that. But if you were in a rational society, that would be the way that you would do things. Saying, okay, every every mother has the right to good nutrition. Every child up until the age of at least five, you know, should have have the access to to good food so that they can develop i mean these is this is the major resource that we have uh, you know is, is our imagination is 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 our learning is is our energy and this comes you know generation after generation through the children and that's about the the last example that i can think of in american politics of sarvodaya i haven't looked at it completely thinking about it that way, but that's an example that comes to my mind where in the in the late sixties, the early seventies, the Nixon years, you know with all of that turmoil, here we were with invested with a social consciousness that we said, okay, everybody within this class, lactating mothers, children up till the age of five, they get good food. And since that time, uh, as we've become 
uh, more of a politically conservative culture. All right, uh, and I well, I don't have a term for it, but as we've become the culture that we have become, uh, we've whittled that away. So we say, no, no, no. Uh, you know, if you're two hundred percent, you know, poverty or below, then you have access to this stuff. You know, or if you're 150 percent, or if you're 100 percent of poverty, well, 100 percent of poverty, as it's measured by our, our uh, government institutions, is is really, you know, a form of destitution that you wouldn't want to wish on anybody. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me that we've given up this idea of humanity, of of saying, okay. You know, why would you want to starve a child? You know, why would you, why would you want to exclude a child from having good food, whatever the income of the parents? Because things can change. Well, we talked about Martin Luther King Jr. and we obviously are in all of this talking about class struggle, which Gandhi also had a lot to say about. What are the three features of Gandhi's vision of class struggle? Oh, you can't ask me that question. Um, reading, reading over my notes this morning, what came out to me was that uh, he does not really talk about class all that much, and he seems to—it's it's the workers and the elites, and he believes that they have responsibilities to each other. Uh, again, you know, the idea that we're all in this together, the, a communitarian idea, Sarvadaya, uh, everybody has to benefit. And for him, everybody included those who are wealthy. All right. So uh, within the frame of trusteeship, uh, which was, you know, you, ha- you meet your needs and then anything above the, those needs that you, that, that you have, any wealth that you have above those needs is held in trusteeship for the rest of the community. Um, so what he what I read from him is that that he saw elites against mass and rather than class against class um, and again you know he he believed uh, that everybody had a right to full employment to meaningful work and that um, useful productive work was useful, productive work. And a lawyer or a banker was no more valuable in the, in the ultimate reckoning than a farmer or somebody who cleaned latrines. Gandhi did not separate politics from religion or religion and politics from economics. You have referred previously to Satya and Ahimsa, but can you talk more about what those concepts are? Well, satya is truth, and um, you know, I, I would, his uh, Gandhi's autobiography is "Experiments in Truth." I think that's the title. Um, so the idea, again, you know, as a practical man, he was he was looking for the truth, and he was doing experiments to find that truth. What was the right way to live? That was the truth that that he was trying to deal with. What was the right way to live that allowed for the benefit of all? Uh, And uh, it was an ongoing process. 
he realized that he was a limited intellect, you know, one mote in in a stream of sunlight. And from his perspective, what might be truth was not necessarily the truth from another perspective from another person. And, you know, he, he talks about this explicitly in, in, in a number of places, but it was his truth. You know, that's how he saw the world. And again, you know, as, as someone who considered himself a very, an eminently practical man, if he, if he was proved wrong, then he would change and continue to seek after after truth. Now, whether that truth was universal or personal uh, is is another question. Um, I think he would say he would start out with a personal truth, what worked for him, and then hope to hope to elevate that so that it was a universal truth for the benefit of all. Sarvodaya. Uh, Himsa is is violence. A ahimsa is is nonviolence, and that was his way of of confronting authority. Um, as he believed that means and ends are the same thing, he would not do violence to another. Because if he did violence, then he would be violent. And that was not truthful from his perspective. And that was not the end that he wanted. So he couldn't adopt those means, since the means and the ends are similar. And um, that's how he lived his life. Now, people saw him again as as you know uh what is winston winston churchill called him that dirty little fucker in in a loincloth you know how how are we going to deal with this guy he was he was seen as as being a religious fanatic in 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 the clothes well <laughs> A naked politician, as a you know, posing as as a religious fanatic, and I don't think that that was his. I don't think that was his self-image. You know, again, I think he he thought of himself as being a practical man with with personal goals and social goals, and for him, that was the way he lived his life, and he lived his life publicly. Um. So his idea was violence only begets violence that it is that force is not courage all right but courage is necessary and that nonviolence cannot be cowardice it has to be it has to be courageous and uh the idea of nonviolence that kind of negation of this the natural state the natural state being violence i think was was anathema to him i think what what he wanted to what he wanted to live was a natural state of peace, an active peace. And 
certainly in English, there are very few words that we have for that kind of idea. We say passive rather than active. You know, Gandhi, from my understanding, abhorred the idea of, of a passive resistance. For him, it was it was an act. It was a willful choice. There was nothing passive about it. You know, there's nothing cowardly about it. It took more courage to be able to withstand blows than to give the blow. And that was one of the pieces of moral force at that point in time, which allowed him to change the mind of of the British public and eventually the British government. I'm not sure that our time allows that to happen. I mean, you look at what has happened in, in, in the last few years or the last few decades. I'm not sure that his, his tactics are useful now because I think we've, we perhaps have brutalized ourselves in, in, in a way that, uh, that that moral force cannot be brought to bear the way that it, it was in his day. What is the golden rule in Gandhi's thinking? Um, I, I think the golden rule is is the golden rule: do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Uh, he, he can he considered uh, uh, Jesus as a great teacher, and also as a, a, at one point he says, you know, he was the greatest economist of his time. You know, again, another practical man and a seeker after truth. Uh, and and I think that that the the idea of the golden rule again you know applies to Sarvadaya and that that uh, that little talisman uh, a quotation from Gandhi that uh, that I gave you earlier um, you know that you look at remember the face of the poorest person that you've ever met and think well what does this do for him or her you know is this Am I doing something that will help them? And I think that's that's a real expression of a practical expression of the golden rule um, to think of of those who need the most and and keep that in your mind. And you know, for Gandhi, also, I think that uh, part of his community was was uh, were the trees and the animals as well. You know, I, I think that he did have an ecological consciousness before we called it an ecological consciousness. So the poorest of the poor might go all the way down to uh, go down to the insects and the microbes. You know, to think about life, you know, with a capital L, as going beyond our species, and to think about it in in a Gaian, in a biospheric, and an ecospheric uh, uh, conception. I think that would not be uh, remote from his thinking. And that's embodied, I think, in the concept of Sarvodaya. Yes, I think so. I think so. Now, was Gandhi a utopian socialist? Um, some people listening to this might believe that, but um, that's probably not the case. What is your sense of that? Well, I, I, I think that he... I, I would doubt that he would consider himself a real socialist. Maybe at one point in time he did, but uh, um, I don't think he saw himself as as a socialist or a communist or a capitalist. 
Um, I think he saw himself as a seeker after truth and somebody who is committed to the benefit of all. And as for utopian, uh, he's, he's, he made some statements in his life about that. You know, he, he did not believe that what he was doing was utopian. You know, he, 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 he didn't believe that it was idealistic, you know, or if it was idealistic, you know, why not try for the ideal? Why not try for the best that you can get? You know, um, again, you know, I thought he thought himself to be um, somebody who experimented uh, seeking after truth and uh, making practical advances. So I'll try this within the context of making it work for everybody. All right. From the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich. And if that doesn't work, I'll try something else. I'll modify it. I'll change it and I'll adjust. So he, he did not, I don't think he believes that to be utopian at all. I think he, he believes that to be the way we should live our lives. You know, let's try and make it better for everyone. And I think it's important to make that, that distinction because it's too easy for people to try to look at this and say, oh, well, he's a socialist or he's a communist. Um, and it's important to distinguish this as something different, um, a complete and total alternative to what we see now or other systems uh, like Marxism or socialism or capitalism. Well, you know... Uh, um I've I've talked with with real old line socialists, and one of the things I've never been able to get a, a good definition of socialism for me. It's just you know within within the American uh, the American vernacular, socialist is is just a pejorative term. Very few people understand what it means. Um, you know, but uh, one one old line socialist, a follower of E. V. Debs, told me that. Uh, you know what is socialism? It's 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 the pla practical application of the golden rule. That was his conception of socialism, right? And I, I think that's that's interesting, um, an interesting concept to uh, place up against the the kind of uh, language that's coming out of uh, talk radio these days. So an old line socialist said, you know, no, what I'm doing is is just trying to trying to you know, initiate the golden rule within the society. Yeah, and as far as he was concerned, that was socialism. One last question before we wrap this up. Um, may, well, maybe a couple questions. We'll see where this takes us. But uh, what do you think Gandhi would have thought of the Internet? Uh, you described his economic thought and his concept of community non-hierarchical organization as right. compatible with the Internet. On the one hand, but on the other hand, uh, he talks about machines not becoming a craze and, you know, people not becoming uh, slaves of machines and that sort of thing. Well, his – in terms of Gandhian economics, there's a, there's a lot of misconceptions. Uh, when I started publishing some of this stuff, people would, would say, well, you know, didn't, didn't India try it and wasn't it a failure? And what they were referring to, of course, was the, uh, the first couple of five-year plans that uh, Nehru, Nehru had, uh, had instituted. Well, Nehru never followed Gandhi's economic thought. 
uh, Nehru himself, uh, I, I think, became less and less and less and less of a Gandhian as, as time went on. Um, so his economic ideas have never been never been practiced. And then uh, the other the other idea is so they've never consequently failed. And then the other idea is that oh well, you know, he was anti machine. He was he was anti progress. He was anti technology. And that's not that's not true either. What we, what he was uh, uh, anti was using the machine in such ways that it abused people. Uh, he was against machines that centralized control and power. He was for machines that that would return power to the individual and the small group to allow them to have greater self-sufficiency and self-reliance, greater swadeshi. You know, and that's you know that's where he was at. He was not objecting to technology and machinery. He was objecting to the way that technology and machinery centralized power, control, and money and disempowered the individual and the small community and the neighborhood. And I, I think certainly he would look at the Internet and he would go, this is an amazing tool for a variety of, of different re reasons for organizing for spreading information, uh, for building community uh, across great distances and around the world, and I think he would. I think he would immediately see uh, um, those aspects. I mean, he he. How many how many newspapers and magazines? His writings are voluminous. You know, he published all the time. And imagine what he would he would do if he had uh, free publishing the way that we have to a worldwide audience uh, on the internet. It would be an amazing thing for him. I, I've I've also thought about uh, you know what would Benjamin Franklin do? I mean, he, these are these are people who just go crazy with these tools and would find new ways of of social organizing through through the internet that probably w w we're not conceiving of yet. So uh, I think that for him, the, the Internet, as, as long as it was accessible to all, right, Sarvodaya, he would see it as, as an empowering tool. If it was accessible only to a few, he would rail against it. Well, I think he would also be concerned about who exactly controls it. I oh, of course. I think he would be concerned about uh, the last mile who owns the backbone and who controls that. Um, and then, there, and then there, there are all the, the ideas of intellectual property rights and, and things that are coming up, you know, such, such as those things. You know, there are a lot of different issues with that. But I, I, think, he would see, I think he would see the Internet as, as a tool of empowerment where, as I said, where it is accessible to all um, and useful to all. And uh, I think he would rail against all of those things that you've mentioned that would limit that uniform distribution of, of access. By the same token, I think he would have recognized immediately the value and importance of GNU Linux, the general public license, Creative right. Commons. Open. Yeah, open source. Uh, yeah. I think he would love the idea of open source, not only uh, open source software, but now what's happening is beginning to be uh, the maker culture and open source hardware that's beginning to happen. I think this is, you know, I think this is one of the strains that's going to lead us to a, 
if we have a future, and I'm not sure that we do have a future, if we have a future, that uh, the kind of open source architecture that is happening now, not only in terms of software but hardware, is is going to is going to lead towards Gandhian economics, and maybe even beyond that to a kind of economics of the free. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. Well, I think you're right. Uh... And I also think, you know, it's it's an open question, certainly for all of us, if we have a future. But I but I definitely agree with you. If we do have a future, um, then this is probably it. And I would also say that this conversation that we are having is part of what Gandhi defined in his definition of sava, in that we should not be concerned with the outcomes, but we should merely engage in the activity and do the deed of the the propaganda of the deed exactly and exactly. so we don't know what the outcome of this conversation is we hope that it will spread far and wide and people will take it up and listen to it and delve further into the thinking but also put it into practice exactly it it means nothing unless you can practice it unless you can make it manifest in the world you know and uh there's there's so much to learn. There's so much history there. I've scratched the surface, you know, doing my little bit of directed reading, and and found so so many inspiring examples in 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 the thoughts of of Mahatma Gandhi, and uh, and his his cohorts, you know, um, and he's dismissed now almost as as a dreamer, as as a fluke. You know, as one-off, a unique individual, it will never happen again. And that's not who he was. He was a practical and simple man who had integrity, all right, which means he was all of one piece, and he was just moving towards what he considered to be the truth. And nothing would stop him from that. And if each of us as individuals, all right, does something like that moves toward what we consider to be the truth with integrity, then we change our world, and because we change our small part of the world, we can change the whole world. Well, on that note, we can conclude this conversation. I'd like to leave the possibility open that we uh, have a future discussion about this, maybe some type of roundtable discussion with other people from this community, as you know, the, the community of uh, Swadeshi people, uh, the community of appropriate technology people, uh, those folks on Apropedia, the Global Swadeshi Network, uh, the Sea Realm, all those people out there are all interested in these ideas. And now that we've laid this foundation with this, um, with this interview, perhaps we can look at the relevance and practical applicability of these concepts in our current situation. I look forward to it. Thank you very much, Frank. Thank you, George. That is the end of my interview with George Mokre on Gandhian economics. And personally, I think this is probably one of the most important interviews that I've done on the Agro Innovations podcast. Many of the other interviews kind of revolve around the axis of the concepts that George presented here. We think to the riprap machine, to the work that 
Marcin Jakubowski and the folks at Open Farm Tech are doing, Apropedia, Open Source Appropriate Technology in general, which I've written extensively about, community-supported agriculture, local currencies, and permaculture. All these things have many of the spirit and application of Gandhi's ideas embodied in them. And so I think it's important that we internalize Gandhi's ideas. And as George said, Gandhi can be a source of constant inspiration for us as we think about the struggle that we're involved in and we can look back at someone who was incredibly prolific and incredibly courageous and determined. And like I said, we can take inspiration from that. Now, Vandana Shiva was just recently on alternative radio talking about Gandhi as well. And that can be downloaded online. I'll put a link to that on the show notes for this episode. And I believe the download for that is $5. So if you want to hear Vandana Shiva talk about Gandhi, then you can pay the $5 and you can listen to that interview. I don't know what's coming up next. I don't have anything in the pipeline. I'm not sure if there will be a podcast episode next week. Uh, Quite busy doing the things that most of us do from day to day. So I will try to get something lined up, but if not, then there will be a podcast posted for the following week. This and all episodes of the Agro Innovations Podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. There's a link to that on the agroinnovations.com slash podcast webpage, and you can go to creativecommons.org to learn more about that as well. There will also be a link posted to a discussion thread on the Global Swadeshi Network, and it seems that what more appropriate topic to discuss on the Global Swadeshi Network than the originator of the concept Swadeshi himself, Mahatma Gandhi. So please go over there and participate and let us know your thoughts and how you are applying the concepts of Saba. Sarvodaya, Swaraj, Swadishi, to your life, your businesses, your communities. You can also find the Agro Innovations podcast on Red House Art Radio. Launched in May of 2009, Red House Radio is an innovative project of the Red House Art Center and Central New York's first listener-generated arts and ideas internet radio station. Red Radio explores audio as an art form and communication platform. You can access this episode of the Agro Innovations Podcast and other innovative programs at www.redhouseartradio.org. And this is the first uh, episode where I explicitly endorse Red Red House Art Radio. Although since the previous episode, we are broadcasting on Red House Art Radio as well. And this is a unique collaboration between Agro-Innovations and Red House Art Radio to get more coverage and listeners for the Agro-Innovations podcast and to help Red House Art Radio uh, have some good content for their listeners to, to pick up on and listen to. 
So I will also link to that via the show notes for this episode. And I would encourage uh, our listeners to go check out Red House Art Radio. This is the Agro Innovations Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, saludos. Saludos.